Hello and welcome to episode 55 of the Large Format Photography Podcast. My name is Simon Forster and I'm joined by Andrew Bartram, Eric Mathie and Kellyanne Bob. Hello Andrew. Hello Simon. Hello Eric. Simon, hello. Hello Kelly. Hi Simon. It's great to have you on the show Kelly. Thank, thank you for being with us. Thank you for considering me. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I think evolved. Uh, <laughs> no. You got the name right, right and then... Kelly, it's normally me who throws him off, but you yeah, throw him yeah, right off now. Well, there you go. There He's you go. flustered by politeness. Um, well, on that on that incredibly polite note, um, <laughs> let's head over to Andrew, and you're going to give us a little introduction to Kelly. I am, yes. It's the ball falls squarely in my court this week. Uh, so I reached out to Kelly after seeing the article in that wonderful publication, Silver Grain Classics, and if you don't read Silver Grain Classics, then go out and subscribe. And she was interviewed by Rachel Brewster Wright, friend of the show and uh, soon to be mama, if not already. So what I know about you, Kellyanne, is that um, you you're the most you live in the most exotic place of anywhere that we've uh, had a guest on so far, apart from Stoke-on-Trent, Trinidad and Tobago. You're a surgeon, which is just fantastic because you've just come off um, come off call, so we expect you to fall asleep any moment. A self-confessed geek and a fairly new convert to film photography. So welcome, Kelly and Bob. Yay! So, <laughs> so w- what we normally do, of course, is follow that tried and trusted process. And if for those people who haven't read the article in Silver Grain Classics, why don't you take a little bit of time to just explain how you got to where you are, a bit of your backstory, and you know, it doesn't just need to be photography because you've got a, a really interesting story to tell. Well, I have always had um, a natural inclination to creativity, and I've always also been very academically inclined. I would say that I started film photography as it is presently in my life in 2018 child we had film cameras but mainly point of point and shoot cameras lying around we were always taking pictures um but in 2018 i was in belgium i was there for a few months i was at a hospital there doing an elective in advanced laparoscopic surgery and there is an antique kind of market that is open from monday to sunday and Going through the market, I saw these very vintage film cameras. And um, from there, kind of planted a seed in, okay, I need to get one of these. Um, Before leaving Belgium, I was able to purchase one film camera because I was never able to haggle very well in broken French to get prices down. But I purchased um, a Rikor SLR um, initially. Never worked, sadly. <laughs> I thought it was fully functional. I was told it was functional, but by the time I was able to get film, it, it never worked. But it, it was the initiation um, into desire for, for film. Um, but I think what was the true catalyst? 2018, my mom passed away. 
during that process of dealing with it, packing away the apartment in New York and just trying to find a way to balance the emotions that came about with that loss, I um, started taking pictures. If I didn't have that experience, if I would have continued taking pictures because my life is so busy with work, it's a cathartic process um, and was necessary for me. So through that, I started really documenting different things. Um, and from there, I continued documenting people in my life, um, taking portraits, learning more and more. Again, the natural geek, geekiness of myself. started researching what are the types of film, different formats, um, acquiring more cameras, and uh, just really expanding with film photography. I find it to be a very tactile and that is what is so different from, for me personally, from digital photography. Um, you're able to, one, slow yourself down. Um, when I was taking photos, for instance, that few months I was in Belgium, I have images on SD cards, just endless images. And now, if, I, if I'm shooting large format, I'm going to tell myself, okay, I'm going to sh shoot three images or four images or five and also the price and cost of film, I'm able to sit and work it out, think about the composition, think about what it is I really want to tell and not just be, you know, pressing the shutter. For me to slow down, to really learn photography, also learn about aperture, shutter speed, lighting, and how all of it comes together to really bring about the image. As Ideally, where I am now, um, I will say that my main theme that I like to document is portraits. However, I like still life. I like landscape photography. Um, but I mainly like portraits and documenting people's lives. You've had those two, well, the two shows that come to mind from research and reading is the Sacred, Sacred Bodies and the Divine yeah. And I want to say Home Alone, but it's not that, is it? It's something like that. Is it Home Alone? Yes, yeah, Home Alone. Home Alone. It is Home Alone. Yes, I was, suddenly, <laughs> suddenly I thought, no, it can't be that. That's the movie. Um, <laughs> well, well, t tell us a little bit about those particular projects, if you would okay. mind. I, I think I'll start with Home Alone. Um, Home Alone came about from my time in quarantine. Um, ah. I traveled March of 2020. Why I do not know, but I traveled to New York. I'm all, we, I travel to New York regularly. Um, I have family in New York. So I traveled to New York. And when I came back into my country, Trinidad, the following day, we went into a lockdown. And because I came from New York, I had to go into mandatory quarantine. Developed certain symptoms that was a bit suspicious for COVID. So I was in quarantine for like a month. Mm -hmm. And that was quite annoying. <laughs> it was a lot. Um, but look at certain things, interactions with family and friends in a particular kind of way. Um, I wasn't allowed to leave the house. I was home here by myself because I was in quarantine. 
And family would drop groceries at the door and then I would open the door, get it and stuff like that. So that was my interaction for a month. Um, and after coming out of quarantine, I kind of wanted, because we were still in a lockdown, even though I was out of quarantine, things weren't back to normal except groceries, grocery stores, hospital, pharmacies. So I wanted to document the experience of family and friends in that space mentally and physically. Um, of just still, even though you won't in quarantine, you kind of just existed within your home. You define your home as. So I photographed a, a few persons here at my house and also at their own spaces. Mm -hmm. And that is how Home Alone came about. I also did some um, portraits, self-portraits, which was the first time I was doing self-portraits on, well, self-portraits on the whole, not just on film. So that is more or less the story behind the Home Alone series. Kelly, did you, um, did you, for you, so you formulated this project during this quarantine period. Did you actually start it during that period? You didn't start taking portraits no. in, in doorways? I, <laughs> no, I didn't. I, I, I started taking self-portraits. Yeah. Um, and just documenting my space but I didn't start taking portraits of persons. The, also because of my medical background, like the ethics of doing certain things, you know, you might, I might feel like, okay, I want to photograph my sister dropping off something, but I'm also kind of wary because I really had significant symptoms. I got swabbed three times. So I didn't want to infect anybody possibly, you know? Mm. So I was very careful. Um, with that so I didn't I didn't start it until I was out of quarantine and did you start with family and then move on to a wider circle of people or did you just stick to yeah. people you knew um ideally people I know because it was um it was persons I was having conversations with persons I was doing video chats with you know so it was me connecting myself and uh, the people I was connecting with, who we still trying to make connections. Uh, we're trying to control a pandemic, but still, you know, trying to prevent loneliness, feeling isolated. Mm -hmm. So it was ideally people that I knew and I interacted with. So you know, lockdown in this time of you know the pretty much all through last year was a really difficult time for for pretty much everybody. And a lot of creativity came out of it. If you were lucky enough to you know, be in a position where you could focus on that, some folks, of course, if they were stuck in a one-bedroom flat in London, would you know, maybe struggling to keep the kids occupied or the mm -hmm. last thing on their mind is, is creativity. So we, we're blessed that you know, we can do these things. Um, uh, and social media, Zoom, I mean, who'd heard of Zoom or Google Meet before? Uh, before the before the pandemic, pandemic and, yeah. and I, I read about you know the photographers who spend a lot of time making portraits many of them spend a while getting to know people and understanding where they're coming from and you know before they even pick a camera up so I guess that electronic media and those those connections you were making did that so you know you knew these people they were sort of family or friends Mm -hmm. But did you find that through the 
through the through the social media contact, through the sort of Zoom meetings or whatever you had, and then through the photography process, did you discover more things about these people? Did, did they fight, did they sort of open up about some of their inner feelings about isolation and the and the problems they had during lockdown? I'll say yes, not not everyone to the same extent. Um, I guess also because your level of intimacy, not not sexual, but your connectedness no, no. Course, with, yeah. with people um, is different. So you'll have friends who you're closer to than others. Yeah. So you'll be able to have deeper conversations with them. But I think it's an it's ongoing conversations that we've been having as a global village of understanding not only the economic and financial burden that the pandemic has had on us, but also understanding the psychological and emotional strain that is had. Um, so even though we've been having conversations or I had conversations with friends back then, especially when I first came out of quarantine and never having had that experience before, it's, it's really the same kinds of conversations that we're still having. Because presently, um, we're in a semi-lockdown here in Trinidad. We're dealing with our second spike, our second surge. And you're still kind of dealing with all of the emotional and psychological effects um, of the pandemic. So it's still conversations that we're having. But yes, I, I was able to, to have certain conversations that allowed one, me and the people in my life to look at one of my greatest lessons from the pandemic is the way my life is structured or the way my life was structured and understanding to have a little more balance. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think I'll describe myself as a type A personality kind of person. So when it is I assign a goal, that is where I'm going. Um, but sometimes the importance of having that balance of ensuring that your life is not about one particular kind of thing. And those are the greatest lessons that I've had personally during this pandemic um, and that I would like to hold on to and ensure that post-pandemic, the little changes I've made personally to ensure that when I'm spending time with my grandmother, spending time with family members, you know, those are the things because you realize, okay, you haven't seen somebody in such a long time and you want to, you understand the 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 importance of connecting with people and for me in a different kind of way from this into one period and the importance of making a fixed image on photographic film as well of those people yeah. for the future yeah uh, i was, was going to say it's interesting uh because you know the, the lockdown was a, a year and a half it was 18 months at least here in the bay oh, area yeah. and it was those the, the slowest and the fastest 18 months ever right because we sort of slid into it and it's just it was became a way of life and i didn't realize until just like last month when they came to visit that i hadn't seen my parents in two years mm. because of the pandemic which is far and away the longest since i've seen my my parents you know and i was like wow yeah. that's two years like where did that go um but at the same time it, it's sort of odd right to actually now in the lull between, you know, COVID and Delta, to be out seeing people in groups outside, it feels uncomfortable. 
as well because yeah. we become hermits but we want to see people but when we see people it's like oh there's there's a crowd it's just you know it's just yeah you know it's it's odd has that informed or changed the way you take photographs or do portrait sessions or interact with people is it, does it make it both easier because now you like we seek intimacy we seek like connection with people but at the same time there's this physical distancing thing that we sort of are now conditioned to do as well and the, those two things are at odds right has that has that changed your portrait sessions with people at all it, ha- it has for instance um i was supposed to have started two projects and uh, completed another editorial shoot, but because of our lockdown, you know, it's not that I wasn't able to meet with people. Because of the surge, you want to be careful. You want to meet, but you don't want to put yourself at risk. You don't want to put others at risk. Um, So you kind of, even organizing a shoot, only five people, you know, like who's essential, who needs to be there. Mm-hmm. kind of thing. So it has influenced in a significant way how I would organize shoots and when I would do it. Does it make your, your images or your process, especially with like four by five or medium format, more bare bones and simple? Because it seems to me, not having done myself a ton of editorial or, or portrait sort of work, you know, that a lot of the things that I've seen my friends do commercial work, you know, they bring the lights, they have an assistant or two, like, then you have five people who's who's gonna you know bring all that stuff. So does it make your shoots more bare and simple, or is it just make you more creative in how you do complicated things? Um, I think it it influences both things. Um, I think for the most part, I I'm inclined to simplicity. Mm-hmm. If I have natural light, I'm using natural light. I usually don't use artificial light. I rarely, rarely ever use artificial lighting. Um, so I would ideally look for situations where I can use more natural light or a window is available. Um, so I would say that the way I structure, I would structure a shoot would be quite simple. Um, also, it would influence a level of increased creativity because you still want to be able to tell your story. Um, but I think sometimes also simplicity lends to that. It lends to you kind of the box, not adding too many things to your image or trying. It's in our present time of social media, you know, sometimes it's a good and a bad thing. You can look at another photographer's work to yourself, well, this is a beautiful image. Um, they did this and they did that, or mm-hmm. you know, and you might be like, maybe this is how I should be doing it. This is how my portrait should look. Um, so th- that external influence is there. But for me, keeping things simple kind of keeps that at bay. External influences are fine. It, it helps us also learn from other people. And I've learned a lot from other people. Large format photography, I've been able to go onto YouTube, look at people's videos, mm-hmm. um, look at images and learn a lot because I didn't go to school for photography. Um, I, the first time I used a darkroom was instructions from YouTube. Nice. Well, a film was from instructions from YouTube. If I have a question about 
using paper negatives and go to large um, formatphotography.com. You know, so and I would read what people have written. So I'm always quite appreciative of that. And that is a positive aspect of having those spaces. But I guess it's also for us to understand that we, you know, you bounce it off where you look at things and you learn from people's work, but you don't try to necessarily emulate. So for me, keeping it simple keeps that other aspect at bay. How do you, I read somewhere that you've now got 90 cameras, which is rather, rather a lot. So in your goal to keep things simple, uh, but I think you also gravitate towards maybe just a few, and that would, I'm guessing your Mamiya C33, or th- whichever one, 330? 330. 330. Yeah, 330. Or your Toyo yeah. Mono. Toyo View 4.5. How do you, so, so I'm staring on my other laptop here, at a page from Lens Culture, which has got three of your images from the Home Alone. It's got um, a striking image in the centre of a bare-faced, bare-chested guy with his head down, adopting a pose, you know, with his hand on his shoulder and bare feet. Pardon? Oh no. Okay. Yes. He's sitting on the. He's I sitting know. on a on a seaside Bad. wall or something. And and he's got the yeah. C in the background. Oh, okay, yes, yeah. yes, I know which image you're talking about. And it's mm-hmm. it's subtitled Solitude, but then then I think there's a self portrait of you called Solitude, and then there's one under above one called Intimacies with um, a lady and a guy, and she's they've both got their eyes closed and she's embracing him. That all three are very strikingly beautiful. One is clearly square format, and the other two aren't. So my question, really, from a sort of process point of view and how you see things you know you've got the Mamiya which is square you've got large format and you gravitate to those two but um, do, do you find yourself um, using one or the other depending on a situation and does one present more barriers to you in in terms of communicating uh, spontaneously with with um, your subjects how, how do the how, how does the cameras that you use um, sort of affect the process, you know, the photography process or the portraiture yeah. process? So for large format, format photography, I'll start there. Um, I think a lot of persons, even older, I mean, in their 50s, um, 40s, even though they would have had a significant more period of film photography than I would have had, most, I think most, most of the people in our population, not only Trinidad, but generally, a lot of them know about 35 millimeters. So an SLR, that is what they are accustomed mm. to, an SLR camera. So when you come and you're asking someone to do a large format portrait, you know, you kind of, I always start with letting people know when I'm approaching them to do a portrait session is that it's film, it's a slower process. There is no image for me to show you at the end of it. <laughs> well, they can, they can always you like it or not. You can always do what Eric does, and when he's interacting with people, he says, "Come and look through the ground glass, and you'll see the image." Do you, yes. do, you do that trick? That's yes, good I, get... I do that. But um, the picture's going to come up going to come out upside down. They say, and the picture's yeah. going to come out so much better because you're in it, and it's not me. Because then I'll go and I'll hold the spot like where they were, and they're just like, "Oh my god, it's going to be terrible!" Like, no, you're in it, not me. It'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> so for large format photo- photography, it's a much slower pace than, for me than medium format. 
Um, so I would choose which situations I would want to use large formats. Mm. Um, for instance, one of the images I sent you was from the Home Alone series with my friend Robert um, sitting on a stool yep. with, we call that a pui tree, the yellow leaves are on the floor. Um, that's in his backyard. He's an artist. He's a, a designer. That fits that kind of atmosphere. You know, I'm taking a portrait of him in his space, in his home. It's, we met, we sat, we talked, we ate, we drank coffee, and then we had the portrait session. So for me, it, it fits that kind of energy. The editorial that I did, I did work with my, my cameras. Now, I have a few large format cameras. So one that I worked with was um, a Ritrek. It's a Japanese modular camera. Seven, four by five, six by ten. Those are cool. Yeah. So I worked with that camera and I shot three four by five images, two Provia and one Portra. For some reason, though, I live in the Caribbean. It's hot. We we were supposed to start shooting... At 6 a.m., we didn't. So we, uh, sun is high, it's hot, it's bright. I made an error when I was putting the um, hole in. It went all the way through, so light got on it. That was ruined. The other shot, for some reason, because remember, this is a different pace. This is a different energy, and I'm trying to add my 4x5 image to it. So I'm rushing. Um, the other one came out blank. I don't know what happened there. And I only had one usable image. And for me, it was a lesson. You know, I have so many cameras. I ideally try to use all my cameras, not all the time. Just sometimes I might be like, oh, I'm going to the beach. I'm going to put some film in this box camera, you know, just to play around with. Um, but the lesson that I learned from that shoot, because I worked with the 4x5 camera, Mamiya RB67, Bronica, um, ETRSI, and the Mamiya C330. It was too much. <laughs> Did you have a so, car? You just pulled it behind you? Like, just reach behind you and like pull it out of a car? Because I'm familiar with, I think I've owned all those cameras, weirdly enough. And that's a lot of camera. Mm-hmm. One of those cameras is a lot of camera, honestly. Yeah. Two is maybe functional. Four. I, I was I was walking around a couple of weeks ago, Kelly, with my RB67, but I deliberately took just one. I was away in our caravan for a couple of weeks, and I had it in mind that I would start a project, which I did, called Men and Their Caravans. Okay, so a caravan. Mm-hmm. You know what a caravan is, don't you? Yes. Like, a, like a mobile home thing. Well, yeah. Americans, you know, I have to be careful because Americans call them something else. What the hell's a caravan? Yeah. So I, I wandered around with my RB67 looking for interesting uh, subjects. So either, and it was men, which was a bit of an issue. I had this discussion. Well, some of the women said, well, why can't I be in? I said, because the project is men in their caravans. Mm-hmm. I said, would you please just stand to one side? <laughs> and they all did. I did it in a very nice way. I'm but, sure. you know, the RB67 creates attention doesn't it because i'm yeah. hand holding it i was using hp5 it wasn't as sunny as it is in trinidad i'm guessing uh, but i wanted to keep it simple because 
you know, with too many choices, you can then, or it leads to unfamiliarity or confusion, can't it? And mm -hmm. and that that can't help your workflow. And that's probably what you're getting at, isn't it? So you need to yeah, so, keep it simple. So I learned I learned about because I like the the process being simple, but because I get excited yeah. about my cameras. I know. I get excited it's great, isn't about it? It's great. Photography. So I'm always like, I love the Mamiya C330. Oh, so that's... I feel as though I must use it kind of thing. Yeah. That I also needed to simplify even to the point of which cameras I use to really choose certain cameras for certain situations. Yeah. So for large format photography, I like more, I like situations that are a bit more intimate um, not as busy like a, um, a film shoot, an editorial film shoot. Those large format photography for those kinds of portraits. And then for medium format, it's a little, you're able to move around a little quicker. Um, the Mamiya RB is not light. <laughs> I have a tank of a viewfinder. It's the... You, I'm not too sure what term I should use. Chimney? For it, is it the chimney? But it's one that you look. Oh, I know. Yes. That looks down like oh, this. The not one even... that goes on the top, yes. Yeah, the one that goes yeah. on top and you the look. The prism. The prism. 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 Right. That's really heavy. That's as heavy it's as the camera. All metallic, exactly. So I can barely, like, my muscles oh. become fatigued. Yeah. So I can barely hold it. But um, if it is, I'm using the Mamiya RB. For me personally, I think it's my best camera for that kind of editorial shoot. So I've, in my mind, assigned the Mamiya to that. The Bronica is a very good camera also. So for medium format, I would usually use it for editorial kind of shoots. Um, and for 35 millimeter, but I like, I would say... Before having a dedicated film scanner, I have the Minolta 5400. The scanning. Before that, I would say 35 millimeter was kind of no for me because I think the quality from um, a V600, now I have the V750 also. Um, I acquired the Polaroid Print Scan 120 for medium format scanning. So, um, the V six hundred was my first scanner. I I didn't I didn't know if I was going to stick with it. I was like, this is a safe purchase. It's not too expensive and it seems to be good. So before that, thirty five millimeter was like, eh -eh. but now with having better scanning capabilities, for me, thirty five millimeter is like run and go. To mm -hmm. point and shoot like Minolta X seven thousand. It has. Is no need digital automatic um, focusing, but you're still able to focus quickly if it is your moving around and you just want to take a street a street um, photography photograph. Street photography is not my kind of photography, honestly. I feel like I'm invading in a way. I think that's something I still need to work through and figure out why it always feels like that to me. Um, I'm not, I don't think that it's invasive personally, but for me, that's how I feel. It's like I always feel as though I need to ask permission yeah. before taking the image. And if I do that, the candid aspect of it is gone most of, most of the time, right? 
Um, so for me, 35 millimeter lends itself to that kind of shooting. Large format also has the benefit. I like alternative printing processes. So Cyanotype, Gone by Chromit. Um, one of these is a Gone by Chromit print that I made of a portrait I made of my sister. Large format photography kinds of kind of lends to that kind of process a little easier instead of me having to figure out the whole science behind a digital negative kind of don't really worry about it honestly if I have to make a digital negative I know there's a whole graph and <laughs> all of the science behind it that I do not understand me neither I, yeah, I just print one and I hope for the best right same 100% <laughs> print it out and go like oh that looks like it's yeah cool cool yeah I don't I don't even make digital negatives because even the it's just beyond me really it shouldn't be really should it but it should it is have you got a creative space at home where you can do your alternative yeah, i was gonna say work? do you have a dark room or yeah dark room so one of the bedrooms is in my dark room it's still a bedroom but it's a room with the least amount of windows um so i have um blackout curtains but i only print at night yeah so that kind of helps also with the fact that it, it has windows so, so I have blackout curtains and I have the room is um fixed with the enlargers and stuff so basically when you're in those overnight on-call situations where you can't go to bed you can just spend the entire time in the in the dark bedroom printing and if you don't get an, if you don't get a call you're just like yeah that was a productive session and then you can go to bed <laughs> yeah but I I have to make myself a, a um a dark room space I think once I have that. Um, I will do a little more printing because it's a bit of work. I still have to make sure the room is completely yeah. dark. It seems mm -hmm. like work to me, you know. So I, my plan is to organize a dark room space. Is my, there, sorry, I think I was blocking the mic. Oh no, it's okay. Simon, I mean, Andrew, you go ahead. I was just going to say that uh, the easier you can make it, the more creative you can be because it's, you know, if you have to go and black everything out and you know kick yeah. the kids out of the room or you know, convert the bathroom. You've got people wanting a wee outside. It's all becomes a bit of a pain, doesn't it really? So having yeah. access to something permanent is a real blessing. So uh, you're, you're halfway there. So that's, that's really good. Where, where did you get your bug for alternative processes from? What was the catalyst? Cause you're, you're, I'm loving that you're just such a, such a photo geek an analog photo geek. Uh, it's brilliant. So, and I love it that you're into alternative processes as well. So tell us a little bit about that side of your work. Um, researching film photography, looking at people's videos, and then realizing that I prints and looking at some gum by Kermit images from past, just like from time memorial and looking at the quality and how beautiful it is. They're stunning. I see one of my goals in film photography is to be able to attain a certain kind of level. It doesn't have to be all forms of alternative printing. I think that would dilute it. I need to assign maybe two. I like cyanotype and I like gum by chromate. But I would like to start salt printing also. I bought a kit. Um, I think it's Bosnick and Sullivan. Bosnick and Sullivan, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So I recently bought a kit. I have to wait for it to be shipped here to Trinidad. Um, another thing that I really like is the platinum. I'm feeling him. It's so expensive, dude. Yeah. <laughs> but I would like to try it. So doing research and actually seeing what people were able to create, there is um, there is an artist. I don't know if I can find her quickly. She is from Europe. Um, she makes these beautiful beautiful prints is she in russia gum oil i think is her process yes yeah is she in russia if it is i think and i know what you're talking about i can't remember if it if it's russia but she was um very looking at her work was quite influential anna Astania. Yep. yeah her prints yeah. are ridiculous it's ridiculous. I've tried oh. gum oil without success. I've yeah. tried it multiple times. Oh. The print has come out perfect in terms of uh, seeing the image. But when I put the paint on, it's just one smudge of a thing. It doesn't wash off like hers does. Yeah. They go to one of her workshops and learn for sure. That is a future goal. Yeah, same. So, I mean her gum oils are so good. I'm just like, it made yeah. me want to try gum oils. I'm like, I've never seen gum oil. And she makes it look so easy. She's like, yes, yes, do, do, do. Oh, and like, and it's, a, it's just art. Yeah. I think I've always wanted to be able to paint. I can't. In, in high school, art in primary school. And for me, alternative printing is almost like a form of painting. You know, and it's an extension of your film photography. Um, and for me, it's a natural, the natural way that I would grow and expand with my film photography. So that's why I love it. Would you see it feeding into your ongoing love of portraiture or would it, would it lean more towards still life? You know, you've done a lot of Polaroid still life, haven't you? Yes, um, I would say that it would be a, lean more towards portrait work than still life for sure. I would love to see some of your portraits printed really big with some of those with with the Anna Lucina South gum oils when you can when you work that out because yeah. that would be really nice, really nice. Thank you. And Eric just sent me a link to it, so I was trying to yeah. work out what her name was. Yeah. I, know, I think it's honest, yeah. So it, in where you are in, is there a strong like film photography community or are you just on your own mail ordering stuff and <laughs> like buying things off of eBay? Well, I don't buy things off of eBay anymore. I've graduated. <laughs> <laughs> I purchase all my film um, cameras from Japan. I find that the Japanese they preserve their things like no other. Um, yeah. So I find the quality of cameras from Japan is just superb. So I purchase cameras from Japan. Um, because I travel to the U.S. a lot, except now, <laughs> um, I usually buy my stuff at Adorama or b and yeah. Adorama is fabulous, you know. isn't it? Yeah. So I'll go to New York and I'll get things. I'll buy things in bulk. So I have... I have a film fridge, mm -hmm. and then my normal fridge is again filled with film. Excellent. <laughs> <All right. laughs> 
sure. I, I buy things in bulk because when I'm home, I kind of don't want to have to wait for something that I want or need to use for, for a shoot. But there is a community. I think film photography worldwide is becoming very, very much more popular. We see it in the prices of cameras. A camera that I would have purchased last year in 2018 for like the Mamiya RV. The prices of the Mamiya RV right now is insane. Yeah, but you know why, mm-hmm. Kelly, don't you? If you go onto YouTube and type in RV67, there's all the, all the hipsters and the cool kids uh, uh, you know, shooting with RVs. And getting yeah. light getting light leaks, most of them, but anyway, we won't. <laughs> so because there's um globally, I think um a lot of the younger generation, they're kind of getting back into film photography. There is there is a, a community here in Trinidad. Um there is a group on Facebook called, called Film Z TNT. It's still small. It's not like the activity is a lot every day or anything like that. Um, I have a good bit of persons who are now starting, who will be younger than me, 21, 22, might see some of my images, realize I only shoot film, and they'll contact me about developing film for them, that kind of thing. Um, there are a group of people who we would sit and we would talk about the whole film process. I have a, a friend, someone that I didn't know before. He's Trinidadian. He was stuck in the U.S. when our borders was closed. Our borders have only recently been open after a year and a half. He was in New York um, for that time. And through being there, he started, he's a photographer, well-known photographer, digital photographer. And he started getting into film photography being there since COVID started in New York. And he blows my mind. He reminds me of myself. It's just a continuous hunger for knowledge of film to the point that he's mixing his own ECN2 chemicals. Nice. You know? Yeah. So he's coming back home this month, and I'm excited to meet up with him because I feel like our energies parallel itself. Although I've met people in Trinidad who are starting, it's still not at that kind of level and it's good when you can partner with people like-minded to really also grow in your photography so we do have a community it's young it's growing but it's there um we have maybe a couple photo studios that will still develop film but only colored and only 35 millimeter right yeah nothing else well maybe you should start if you haven't got enough to do already a community darkroom. How about that? I was thinking maybe Nipi shall have a darkroom cafe. But that's just me waxing romantic. Um, I don't know if I'll have the time for all of that. But that would be, yeah, that would be something. If I, if I can't, in the future I will do. Especially if we have a significant community here. Is, this must be the ultimate escape for you, you know, because you, you must have a, a high, in, well, you have got a high-intensity pressurized day job um but to be able to just wake up in the morning and think about something creative you know do do you find yourself when you're cutting someone open you're thinking about photography (laughs) is it that invasive no not at that moment (laughs) (laughs) but yes it's weirdly enough as i as i said before i've always had that creative aspect of myself so it's not that it didn't exist no 
But I would say if someone told me in 2018 that photography on the whole um, and film photography would have been such a central part of who I am, what I do, I don't, I'm not sure I would have believed them. And let, let alone cyanotypes um, or gum bichromate. Yeah, well, I didn't even know those things no, existed. No. Right. You know, I didn't even know 120 film and 4x5 film existed. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I, it's part of, I would say it's part of who I am. It's yeah. part of what I would like to be a reflection of, of how I live and what I do. So Yeah, fantastic. With... With the uh, with the pandemic, I mean, you you work obviously in a hospital and you work um, in intense situations. And I'm sure you're seeing things professionally that you probably never imagined imagined you'd ever see. You know, in terms of uh, although I don't think you're working directly in the ICU or places of that. You know, you probably have friends who do. Have you ever thought of of taking your portraiture work and turning that that lens towards the other side of your life? you know, towards your professional life or like, you know, showing that side of things? Because it seems to me like you have these two incredible, very, um, I mean, in three years, you're, you're winning photo competitions, you're getting editorial work, like you've exploded in three years photographically, right? So you're, you're not an amateur by any stretch. Um, many people I know who've been taking photographs for decades would love to have the success you've had in three years. Um, so have you ever t- thought of taking those two parts of your life and Meshing. putting them together? Yeah. Or doing, yeah. Doing, doing a project around what you see or something about um, your work? I wish I could call up a healthcare system structured around COVID mm-hmm. is that we have parallel healthcare systems. At the time my COVID started, we were planning to open two new hospitals. So those hospitals deal wholly and solely with COVID-positive patients. Mm. So those patients aren't part of other hosp- the other hospitals. They don't go there. So where I work presently, I am um, part of the COVID team, the surgical COVID team. Okay. And that hospital only has COVID patients, nothing else. So once you're admitted there, you have COVID-19 um, virus infection plus whatever else. Um, so I actually am regularly in the ICU because I might have a patient who might require something okay. surgical. I would love, love, love to document it. However, the way our healthcare, the rules that revolve around documentation mm-hmm. in the hospital setting is that we can't take pictures. So if it is I do take pictures... I would not be able to share them anytime soon. So even if a patient gives me permission to take their portrait, um, our policy is that we can't document. So I've been trying to work out other ways of documenting the process, but I like things to be organic. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't want to have things to stage. I don't want to have to ask so many people. I don't want it to end up being a stage kind of thing. Right. You know? I'd rather be quite organic, um, going through the space. I, there is rapport there already. I work there. Mm-hmm. I deal with patients on a daily, so rapport has been established. But sadly, um, that our policy is that you can't, you can't do any photography. Could you, 
brainstorming here, could you follow up with them after their release? Like, does that policy extend to post release? No. no, I can't. I can't okay. follow up with them after their release. Yeah. Kelly, I, I, I went off and got a book while you were talking because I remembered I'd purchased a book last year during COVID called, I'm holding this up to the screen just so you can mm-hmm. see it, called All in a Day's Work. And it's by a, a hospital manager called David Collier. He's actually a operating department practitioner, ODP. I don't know what that is, in a hospital mm. in Abergavenny. And he basically used an Olympus, I think it's an XA, and he's mainly photographed his colleagues all through COVID, you see? Yes. And he's got this, they're all pretty, 35 millimeter, grainy shots of people at some of their most vulnerable tiredness, that guy there, mm-hmm. you see? Mm-hmm. And, he's a full world. And it's just a. What is the name again? His yeah, name? his name is David Collier. C O L Y E R. Yeah, so look it up because I'm sure you'll, I'm sure you'll get it. You know, there's a yeah. guy there. There's a guy there. Look with his mask on, and I don't know whether he's communicating with someone, but just sh- showing a yeah, phone through the screen. Common practice. Um, yeah. Because you have barriers, so we call it hot zone and cold zone. Right. So that person would be phone would be in the cold zone. Yeah. Person behind would be in the hot zone. So you kind of might possibly looking at a blood result or something. But he, um, sorry, he's one more picture. Look, sorry for folks. Yeah, look, so you could take your camera into the operating theater because this guy does. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't drop it. <laughs> oh, what's what, I, what I started doing overtly, because again, it's the hot zone is a, a space where. You can't even really carry in your phone. If your phone is going in, we use those waterproof bags because you have to sterilize your phone. So through those bags, I started documenting myself. Yeah. I started taking um, reflections in elevators, um, selfies, like when I come out, marks on my face from all of the gear. I started doing that. And as I said, I think I'll find a way to, to bring about the language and the communication. Um, I'll just allow it to go through organically and slowly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I have done some documentation of myself. And I think many, many people during the pandemic of photographers who are looking for a form of expression and are stuck at home have turned to either still life or self-portraiture. And I think it's... You know, it's uh, produced some really interesting work. And I think that's the joy, isn't it, of the online film photography community and, you know, whatever that is. But it's just, yeah, within the space of a few years, you've met all these different people, you've learned so much. And 30 years ago, it would have taken several years to gather that sort of information. You know, you'd have yeah. had to have found a camera club, you'd have had to have gone to the library, find some books. Take a book, yeah. And you know who'd have who'd have thought you YouTube, you know? But you know, yeah. It's and I'm always very much appreciative of the people who take time, even this platform, because you you would listen to a podcast and you'll be introduced to somebody that you didn't know, someone's yeah. work that you didn't know, someone who is on YouTube that you maybe never heard of, and you go check their videos and it's informative. It's something that you learn. Yeah. And I'm quite always appreciative of people who give their time towards providing, in a way, it's a bit of tutelage, you know, for free. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's know, excellent. Yeah. 
Yeah. So we met Eric. We met Eric like that through somebody (laughs) mentioning, oh, you should get this guy on who makes lenses out of dollar bills. I checked all your stuff. Well, I checked on everyone's speech. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Kelly, um, I was... I was intrigued in the in the article in Silver Grain Classics. You talk about two things: sharing the Caribbean experience and rendering skin color, which I just had never really thought about. And you yeah. you link back to I was immediately thinking back to the f- adverts I used to see for film photography in the in the eighties. You know, white faces, happy families. You know, Portra uh, NC for skin color. You know, or skin tones, but you. You, you've got a really interesting take on it. Perhaps you could elaborate on on skin color and photography for us. Okay, I um I remember sometime last year seeing an article. I think it was from the nineteen seventies. Um, on or nineteen eighties on skin color and what the reference point was for like portrait and see or whatever. Mm. Um. Now it's in terms of what their reference points and stuff like it's a bit more inclusive. They, the article was in color, what was defined as accuracy in skin color, but it became so it has become more inclusive. Um, however, when it is, I when you look at photography and uh, the origins of photography. Um, when I look at a lot of the alternative prints or um, the documentation of other photographers, for sure I don't see much Caribbean, you know, Caribbean photography, not saying it didn't exist. Much of it being referenced in terms of the history of photography. And you understand why that would be how it is also because of what the Caribbean history is. We had where descendants of enslaved persons, indentured laborers, um, we uh, became post-colonial from the British. (laughs) Um, Our independence in Trinidad was 1964. So you understand what's what would one influence how we see ourselves, how we document ourselves, and what would now be the influence of how I, Kelly and Bob, see myself and how I would want to document myself and my experience as a Caribbean photographer. I I like to emphasize on Caribbean photographer because our history or our realities is our art or what we portray, what we put out. And um, for me, it's important that my photography shares that Caribbean experience. It shares um, the identities of Caribbean persons. And that is one of the reasons why I started doing editorial work. The editorial work is Caribbean designers. Um, It's a collaboration that one it, I share my photography, you all learn about me, but you also learn about what Caribbean fashion looks like. Um, tension of exchange of uh, realities. Um, if it is I look, at, I look at any one of your pages, it would be a reflection of your life, your family life, about you, 
And it's important for me to share that, share that um, Caribbean experience. You know, sometimes people feel Caribbean, the Caribbean is this, or the Caribbean is that. And I would like to show all aspects of the Caribbean, not just the sun, sea, you know, happy smile, vacation, but um, all aspects of it. Um, so with, with film photography and me doing portrait or actor, deciding what color film I like to use, I think that's why I like Provia so much. I develop it properly <laughs> and there's no shift. It's very true. True rendition of skin tones, true rendition of colors as side film. So I love Provia. Velvia is just intense. Velvia was kind of, I never could really find a good balance with Velvia. That's to be very bright and sunny for me to get it exactly as I need it. I think that's why I'm inclined a lot to use inside film. Hector uh, 100, I find also is very subtle and also it, it renders dark skin or persons with my skin color or very melanated people. I find it renders skin color very well. Um, so I really, I actually like using Hector for portraits. Um, and portraits, not bad either, but um, I think for me, when it, when it is I look at color photography, those things play in my mind um, when I, I choose a film stock. Well, Eric, I was going to say, like, historically, um, you know, Kodak, based in Rochester, New York, is, is honestly is, is what <laughs> I, I went to college there, like as, as white a place as you could possibly get. Um, they used... Uh, there's the article I put in into our chat. You know, they used okay. a very pale woman to set their the, their skin tones for their stock, and that was that was a reference point. And it was for literally decades and decades and decades and decades. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and most most photography of persons of color came from photojournalism. It, it rarely was fashion or yeah. editorial work or portraiture work. It was like gritty photojournalism. Uh, because that's how people of color were mostly cast, you know, inner city coverage, athletes. That's about it. You know, there were there were no other discussions photographically, at least in the United States, of of people of skin tones that weren't light in any way that wasn't like gritty photojournalism or images of athletes. Yeah. You know, I think Gordon Parks is someone I uh... Oh that man was pardon my language. I gave Simon his first uh, sorry, Simon. A f genius. Yeah. So I like looking at his work. Um, sorry, who who did you? I I didn't catch that. Who are you talking about? Orden Pops. Yeah. Yeah. Giant. Like it didn't matter what he turned his mind to. Yep. He was a genius. Music, yeah. film, photography, writing, poetry. Like he just casually toss off masterpieces. <laughs> like. But yeah, yeah, Gordon Parks is ridiculously great. Yeah. So I think you've kind of touched on it. Sharing the Caribbean experience. I read I read that as one of your sort of driving forces. I think you've kind of touched on it, but maybe just elaborate on that a little bit for me. Um, okay, so 
I think with my portrait work, as I said, when it is I, I do portrait photography, I like it to be candid. I don't like things to be or to feel too staged. I'll, a lot of the people I photograph aren't in editorial work, aren't necessarily any mo models or people who model or anything like that. And I try to photograph people in their natural spaces. And in that way, kind of, it's like documentary photography. So in it being documentary photography, I would like to share different aspects of the Caribbean reality, um, which, for instance, is not... Trinidad and Tobago is a microcosm of different ethnicities. Um, we have Afro-Caribbean, Indo-Caribbean. We have um, significant Chinese population. We have um, a significant population of white Trinidadians. And then you have everybody who's mixed up in between. Um, you can't necessarily say, you might see me and then you see my mom. And my mom is, well, she was much fairer than me. You know, we're, we're all kind of mixed. Um, so in that way, there's a, a harmonious kind of, of, of experience. Not perfect, but in a way, a kind of harmonious kind of experience. There is multiple different religious groups that live together and live harmoniously. And uh, some of the things I've shared are projects that are some of the things I have not shared yet are projects that are ongoing. So it's difficult for me to, to express it in its entirety, but I would like to share um, just that reality, that we are a group of people. It's a, a microcosm of, of many peoples, many histories, many origins that live for the most part peacefully. Um, and also show the other aspects of it, um, where we, we also have, we have certain things to improve. We have things to, to appreciate more. And I think for me, why I started mainly showing Afro Trinidadians, I think you will see most of my portraits are male Afro Trinidadians. Um, it's because of what is the, the black male identity. When you see some, someone that looks a particular kind of way, what, is the ex, what, what do you get as a white American or a white British, um, a non-Caribbean person, what comes out of it? And a lot of the images are males that eyes are closed, embracing themselves, or two people embracing each other. And it's to, to express that that identity, is, it's, it's many things. It's complex, it's soft, it's beautiful. Um, to, I guess, allow what, whatever comes up when you see my images, whatever is whatever comes to the forefront, um, to allow you to connect with what it is is being shared 
And in that connection, because you might say to me, well, Kelly, um, you know, and I don't want to become too political. No, but carry, carry on. We, we've, we've, we haven't done political in a while. Eric likes it. Simon doesn't, but he's... Hell yes, I do. Eric. <laughs> Fire it. Yeah, it, I guess what I should say in summary is that I would like for all of us to question what we see and what we think about when we see black bodies. Hmm. And to understand that black bodies is not just one thing. I think, I think that's it. <laughs> For the most part. So the Caribbean experience, the black, the black, and I, and most of the work is when I say sacred bodies, black bodies, and it's, it's, it's just that. The, that, the bodies are, sorry? No, I was going to say, you, you said sacred bodies because that was your other body of work. Is that, is that kind of it's, coming out of this idea, sacred bodies and the divine? So it's black bodies, sacred bodies, and the divine. So it's, it's, it's more or less in one thing. Um, yeah. The divinity of the black body, the divinity as diasporic Africans, um, the divinity of African religion. That is um, a set of work that I've also I'm currently working on documenting what we've been able to retain as Afro Caribbean people in terms of African religion, right. and. Uh, I haven't really shared much of that because it's an ongoing series, but. It's all an extension of itself, of, of and it's, it's a conversation. Eh? It's a conversation between myself and you as a non-Caribbean person and myself as a Caribbean person. Because even as Caribbean people, we, I grew up as, um, in a Christian home. I saw you raise your hand, Eric. Sorry. No, no, please go on. I'm just I'm I'm bookmarking yeah. that I have questions. I, I grew up in a Christian home. Um so even though I grew up here in Trinidad and I knew about African religions, I didn't know much. I just knew about the different types of religion. And as a young adult is when I started personally looking into it and understanding the importance of what was retained. And is history and as diasporic Africans, especially in the Caribbean, I'm from Trinidad. My great grandparents are from St. Vincent. I can go to St. Vincent, but my history stops at a point. I can only go to a point. I can't, there's no more documents there yeah. for me to trace yeah. my history. Right. So when you see people retain certain things, there is a power within it because you you can be, you're able to identify yourself within it. Um, so it's a conversation. It's a conversation between myself and you. It's not only just about me showing you myself, but also me talking to myself through the images. Well, it's also a conversation with this unknowable history, right? That you, you mm -hmm. personally only have through echoes, because like you said, the documentation, the things that you can know, only go so far back yeah. and there's a closure that you want to have a conversation you want to have with that history that you, there's nobody there to have it with, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're, you can only go so far and then it's, it disappears. Right. So how do you fill that void? You know, what yeah. conversations do you have with a past that you, you can never really know. Right. 
mm-hmm. um, which actually, uh, I raised my hand. I'm really curious, you know, uh, a lot of the work that, that uh, I've seen from you, at least, you know, is a lot of portraiture, stylistic, sort of editorial, the four hats stacked, you know, lovely, mm-hmm. really images, some still lives, some self-portraits. Um, this particular project um, on religion and African diaspora, that sort of thing. What are you taking the same sort of approach or um, is it an architectural thing? Is it portraiture interviews? Like what approach are you taking with that? Because it seems to be uh, a much more intense and personal and also sort of journalism style project. Has that changed your approach at all? Um, And can we see images? I can share images. I can, I can always send it to you. Um, I, I don't know if I can say it, it changes my approach. Um, I think my approach is influenced by the story that is being shared, but for sure the approach is more of a documentary style photography. So it's almost, um, sitting back and looking and documenting why things are happening um, it, we have something called stick fighters. I, I know you likely would not have heard of it, but it's, it's another kind of retained martial arts, African martial arts. So it, it's, the, it's stick fighting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's part, the peak of that kind of celebration is part of our carnival that we have yearly that we did not have in 2021. <laughs> First time in umpteen years we have not had a carnival. But so the peak of that celebration is during carnival time. And is men that fight with fits. Um again, it's a routine practice and everything associated with it, the music, the dance, the movements, you know, and for me, documenting it was about that. It okay. was the movements, document. I, I didn't stop anything i didn't interrupt anybody it was oh i shot it on 3200 film Ilford, 35 millimeter um it was just me sitting back and documenting the process and those series is a is the approach sorry is a documentary photography approach okay so it's, it's not stylized or anything but with the, the topic of religion, which is perhaps less action-packed mm-hmm. and uh, more introspective and has, I would think, and I'm, I'm guessing here, I would think has uh, more sort of ceremonial trappings and art. At least, you know, Western religion is very, very art-derived. You know, when I went to, to Italy for a wedding, the old chapels and churches fascinated me because, you know, there's, I'm not religious at all caveat but i find the art of religion fascinating because the people who make it are obviously very reverential and they they pour their belief into their their work so i think religious art is endlessly fascinating and the people who make it are also endlessly fascinating because they believe so deeply um so with that particular topic you know how do you approach something like that you know versus stick fighting which is a cultural thing that's brought forward that's very action-oriented you know the religion thing for lack of a better term seems much slower mm-hmm. and more reverent and mm-hmm. um passionate maybe i'm not sure how to what i'm looking for here but um how do you approach that versus the stick fighting um 
the reverence aspect of it is something that uh, I think when it is you're documenting any kind of uh, religious practice, you always have to be mindful of the reverence, whether it is it's not your religion or not, you know, to always be respectful of it. So um, for the most part, again, the most of our African religions, we have spiritual practice, spiritual practice, etc. It's associated with a lot of ceremonies. Okay. So the documentation is around ceremonies. Um, weirdly enough, my, the first print I've ever sold is to the Central Bank Museum of Trinidad and Tobago. Um, it's an image of these two spiritual Baptist women. Um, that, so again, a ceremony. They came onto the beach to, to start a ceremony. Um, they, the beach is, is a sunny day. It's beautiful crystal blue waters. Lovely blue um, brown sand. And they walk onto the beach in checkered pink and white dresses and checkered pink and white head wraps. And they're holding these leaves because that is part of the ceremony. Mm-hmm. And they pass me and it's just like visually so stimulating. But again, it's, that fell into kind of street photography, right? right? And I'm like, oh my God, I want to take their portrait. I was there with my friend. And he was like, ask them. But again, there's always this inertia for me to ask that kind of permission. So I was like, no, it's fine. But they're walking onto the beach and it's, the, it's green palms, blue sand, pink dresses. And I had the Mamiya C330 with Portra 160 in it. And they passed, me. <laughs> they passed me walking for a bit. And I was like, it's their backs. There's no identifying, you know, it's not their faces. And I took the image. And that is the first image I've ever sold. And it's sold to the Museum of Trinidad and Tobago. And it's the museum recently only started adding to their collection photography. Nice. Some wow. one of, I think, seven or eight mm-hmm. photographers who they chose. And for me, it's so beautiful. It's, when it's, it's mesmerizing that that would be one of my first images, you know? Did you ever um, um, get the names of those women or follow up with them and right. start so engaging I them? Followed, I followed up with them. Um, and that is where the continuation of... of awesome. Yeah. Of the documentation with, with me. So uh, I know that you've been up literally overnight on call, mm-hmm. and I want to be aware that you really probably want to go to bed. Um, so we should probably start to wrap up soon, so you don't start like, like and then and then we've lost you mm-hmm. like right on the right on camera. Um, in terms of, I guess, I don't know, Andrew, do you have uh, one or two final questions you really want to ask, or I can keep well, blathering on for a couple minutes? No, I think we, we should wind down. I've got one observation, though, Kelly. Okay. I think, I mean, street photography doesn't just have to be candid. I mean, it, meet, meeting people, I find that meeting people on the streets and talking to people, and clearly you can do that. I mean, goodness, this podcast has demonstrated that and also the work you do in hospital i mean you 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 can bring those talents those very obvious talents 
to those ladies, you know, in their bright colored outfits and say, hey, I've got this really old film camera. Would you mind? And do you know what? 95% of people will just say, absolutely. And if you promise to send them a photograph on or make them a print or something, which, you know, I think is always a lovely thing to do. Yeah, you know, so not, not if, that you need another camera, but just bring an Instax camera and take, a, yeah. take the Instax or, or get and hand it over, or get the Instax yeah. back, get an Instax back for your RB67 oh, and make a little, more... <laughs> yeah, and then you've got a wonderful uh, little portrait uh, project to do. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's something I need to work out exactly why I have so much inertia towards it. Um, oh, you're not alone. A lot of people no. do. No, a lot of people uh, do. I hate it. I hate it so yeah. much. It's you feel self-conscious, like, like you're being intrusive, mm. you know. But mm. there's, I'm sorry to remember his name. I'll find it for the show notes. He's active in a couple of the film groups in, in Facebook. But there's a guy in LA, I think, he just approaches everybody. And he's got, I think it's a Pentax X7, but he's got a film camera. And he takes these stunning black and white film portraits. And he's been doing it for a long time. Like his body mm. work is incredible. And I admire him because he's just like, Anybody, just if they're visually interesting, doesn't matter. He's just like, hey, I've got this crazy big camera. Can I take a portrait or can I meet you tomorrow at a place of your choosing, wherever you want it to be for a portrait session? Because I think you're really interesting. And yeah. so many people just said yes. And the Most, portraits, people do. Most people do. He, he takes what looks like professional portraits with models. And they're just everyday people of all body types, all skin colors. And you're just like... Okay. Uh, share, okay. Share a, send, send the link, Eric, for the show notes. Yeah, I'll, I'll find it. I'll find his work. But it, it seems to me that you could, like, not to mirror Andrew, um, but it seems to me that you could make your street photography anything you want, yeah, including that. But you're right. It is really hard to just walk up to people and, and, and feel like you're being intrusive or just, read for me, super self-conscious and lacking in confidence, honestly. It, it would be really lovely if you could, some of the images we've spoken about and referenced during the talk, if you could share them into the Facebook group, because you are a member. Um, yeah. <laughs> I sent a request this morning. Oh, did you? Well, someone's let you in. I don't, yes. Yeah, I okay. saw. Yeah, so there you go. I just checked. I thought, are you a member? And you are. Simon. Yeah, remember me. Um, <laughs> the eye of Simon. <laughs> yeah. Just checking um, you're still there. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 I'm still here. And it's just one of those shows where I'm just very, very happy just to sit back and listen to Andrew and Eric ask questions to our guests because they're just very, very good at this kind of thing. So um, so th thank you for, for, for doing that. And, and I've just sat back and enjoyed myself again. Um, but there's the interesting offer you're just talking about street photography. I, I was given a piece of advice um, when we interviewed uh, a friend of mine called Anil Mystery on the uh, Classic Lenses podcast uh, ages ago. Um, and uh, this this piece of advice, I didn't actually, I've never used it myself, but I've used it with a friend who was with me once um, and I told him to do something and it worked, um, but I didn't do it myself. And, and that was a, a case of uh, interesting people. Um, people that are perhaps flamboyantly dressed or they, they, they're wearing a, a particularly very interesting piece of clothing or something like that they're usually people that you can actually go up to and talk to because uh they 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 want to be noticed yeah and mm. so if that person is 
you know stand stands out because of something they've done the way they've got the hair there's some kind of clothing whatever it is there's a reasonable chance that they're going to say yeah that, that's fine i'll have my photograph done and and that happened to i was out with a friend and i saw somebody that was dressed quite outlandishly for for where we were walking around and uh, we were having a chat about street photography and i was saying oh, i just can't do this kind of stuff but uh that person there if you go up to that person there you'll get a photograph out of them and he goes do you reckon he goes yeah and he walked up to him started chatting and got the photo yeah so it's it's a, a little tip there interesting people like to be photographed okay and i i've also found it works though even for the unflamboyantly dressed simon you know and the other good venues if you go to a venue like um bike shows or car shows or 1940s gatherings you know those sort of events as well they're full of interesting people they're really good ones to hone your skills at because those people are on show in much the same way yeah and and yeah. and you know they'll be they'll be willing people I, I wander around i wander around stately homes and gardens and i'll just wander up to folks and have chat with them and and i've got the camera clearly visible and at some point, I said, "Look, would you mind? I'll, I'd love to make a picture of you, and I'll make I make prints in the darkroom, and I just like making photographs of interesting people with interesting stories to tell. Mm. And it mostly it works. I've been told no, thank you once or twice, but not many times. I think honestly, the fact that uh, you use or we all use, but Kelly, you're the guest. We're talking about you. Um, analog cameras, right? Yeah. What people now consider, you know, antiques, which is blows my mind than RV67 to be considered an antique, but whatever. Um, you know, that sort of thing makes people really relaxed because they, they're like, what is that? If they're used to the phone, they're used to maybe an S a DSLR, you know, or whatever. But like that often acts as both a bridge and a piece of armor if you need mm. it, because you can hide behind a, a four by five, right? You put the hood on and you disappear and mm. look at the camera, I'm just, back here hiding hoping that i can talk to you enough to make a good image you know mm -hmm. and so like the camera can both act as an introduction and if required a piece of armor um although simon like i would say um sometimes people who dress flamboyantly like the outfits are armor like tattoos are armor there's yeah. something to like make you notice the clothing and the clothing is a conversation piece not the person because the person doesn't really want to be talked about like they're scared mm. or they're insecure. And so the interesting thing with folks like that is if you can get enough of a rapport to get past their outfit, get past their tattoos, get past their cool car and actually figure out what's going on with that person. Like that's, that's the key. That's, that's the thing to do. And it's often not easy because it's all about the shoes, not about what's in there. Yeah. Um, and that's the rapport. That's a challenge, but I don't think you'll have a problem with that. Because you, you, you're pretty, <laughs> you know, you have the ability to talk to people and so well um just to start to bring bring things to an end i just one one other thing another observation that I've, I've, i need to make um and that's um with your series sacred bodies um, mm -hmm. I urge people to um take a look at those those images there's uh, there's and I'm not sure if they're actually on your website because I've been I'm finding this through lensculture.com, mm. and um, and there's a section there. I'd say you've got uh, sacred bodies is one of the ones you can just click on, and you can and there are nine images in there. Yeah. Um, but I I think there's there's something truly striking with those images. You me you mentioned um, the word intimacy, 
earlier on um, in the in the in the in the podcast, and and there is an absolute intimacy between you and the models in in those in those photographs. Mm -hmm. There's um, they all. I think they're absolutely incredible, um, and I and I urge people to uh, to to look at them because you you can feel that bond between the photographer and the model in those shots. At least I can, at least anyway. So. Thank you. Um, I didn't realize that you all would have seen so much stuff on lens culture. Um, did you Google my name? How did you end up on lens culture? Yeah, that's, that's exactly how I did it. Okay. Yeah. So I Simon, Simon's been stalking you for about two months. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Um, I can't say any more about lens culture. No, no. Well, um, this would be a good time uh, to ask you about if people want to see your your images. Um, what are the best ways for, for people to see uh, what you want them to see? Um, I would say my website and Instagram. So my website is kellyannebob.com. Um, my Instagram is kellyannebob underscore photography. I have a portfolio on Vogue Italia, um, Lens Culture. I've, I've recently expanded the portfolio on Lens Culture. But um, I would say the main places would be Instagram and my website. That's cool. And, and just for the, the benefit of people searching your name, um, this, the spelling um, is uh, the an is A double N, not A double N E. And the bottom yes. part is two Bs. Um, two Bs. That's it. So, uh, the reason why I'm, I'm pointing that one out is it, when you actually, when I first started to search for you there, I was spelling it all different ways and I was getting all different people and I wasn't finding yourself. So uh, that's, that's that's the yeah. tip there. So the N doesn't have an E and the B has three Bs in it. Uh, the Bob has three Bs. He's got, yeah. he's got no excuse, Kelly, because I sent him, I sent both of these guys <laughs> copies of the Silver Grain Classics uh, article weeks and weeks ago yeah no excuse but all the same that's right see what, I have to, see what i have to work with yeah our, 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 hey. listeners, our listeners haven't had that privilege so um let's let's, let's give them all the help that we can uh, which that's is well, true. well worth tracking that's down true. these images i mustn't i mustn't equate the listeners with the same uh, 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 uh just carry on simon before i, before I, before I ask you too much okay um Right, just a, a quick one then. Um, I just want to thank um, uh, we we have had a uh, a donor uh, via coffee dot com, um, and you can find us somehow apparently um, on uh, coffee dot com. That's k o dash f i dot com. Um, if you search for us, we're apparently not that easy to find, but some people find us occasionally. And uh, since we were last on, um, Pal oh, another name I can't, I'm going to butcher. Um, and I think it's Pallada. Um, I think that's the uh, the way way to say your name, Pal. And uh, and he wrote, uh, I really enjoy your podcasts. Thanks. So uh, thank you very much, Pal. Uh, really appreciate that. Um, okay, so. Um, Andrew, have you got mm. shout-outs? Uh, I have, yes. Uh, I'll shout-out David Collier and his All in a Day's work because he did that uh, fantastic series of images from hospital in Abergavenny. And I'd also like to shout-out, and you'll know who you are if you're listening, to all the keyboard plumbers and tilers out there who gave me such helpful advice <laughs> as I extended my dark. 
<laughs> and you know who you are. Thank you very much. Yeah, funnily enough, um, I mean, you 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 wouldn't mention Jeremy North by name. Um, I'm, I'm sure. Um, but, I have no idea who you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> um, hello, Jeremy. Um, okay, What's up, Jeremy? Uh, Eric, uh, any shout outs? As always, every show, my long-suffering fiance Heather, for putting up with my crap, um, which includes Kelly, always N plus one cameras. I like you suffer from that malaise. Um, uh, and also, actually, Ethan Moses over at Camera Dactyl, uh, for tapping on a call and working through the process for you might be interested in this for reverse processing RC paper negatives into positives mm. uh, that they've just worked out uh, with citric acid and hydrogen peroxide. I tried hydrogen peroxide with 35 millimeter film, but I only had 9%. So it was some parts were reverse, other parts were Right, exactly. I have a gallon of 12% winging its way to me. Okay. So, um, and I just cut like a hundred sheets of, of four by five paper negatives yesterday so um i'm really hoping to 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 play with that we have a big birthday party next weekend and i want to take portraits and give and hand them out to people as takeaway gifts so thank you ethan yeah this is is ethan's instant back so you can put your paper in there and pour your chemicals in is that that's the deal isn't it exactly Mm. he's he's assembling them now and i hopefully knock on wood loud enough to hear it uh we'll have one in time if you haven't seen it yet kelly it's it's a four by five back uh-huh. that doubles as a chemistry tray. So you take your photo, put the dark side back in, put it on the side, and it has a light proof chemical spout. Okay. And you just pour your chemistry into the back and develop your sheet of film, your sheet of RC paper right there, and then pull it out, and there's your shot. It's interesting. Yeah, so you can do it wherever you are, um, which is yeah, very interesting. Um, yeah, less useful in the field because dust, but super useful in well, the studio. No, the, the dust then becomes part of it all, doesn't it? Of the environment. So, <laughs> depending like on the dust level, thank you. Yeah, no, um, it's just like yeah. Afghan cameras. I mean, it's much the same deal, isn't it? That's true. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So, anyways, that was a long-winded way to say thank you, Ethan. And folks, if you're interested in this process, you should you should go to his YouTube. Uh, for Camera Dactyl and the Homemade Camera Podcast. He's gone into great detail on on all the intricacies and the process to, to go through it. I'm sure we'll um, be hearing from him soon on the yeah. on the podcast. Yep, yep, yep. And I'll let you all know how it turns out. Mm. Okay. Um, I know I should, but I can't think of it. I can't think of anybody that I should be doing a shout out to specifically. So I'll back this over to Kelly. Have you got any shout outs? Um, no specific shout outs, but I would like to say thank you to all YouTubers and uh, film photographers on all film forums that continue to share um, freely and selflessly so that people like myself could learn photography. So thank you. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, totally agree with that. Um, Andrew, outside mm-hmm. of this uh, podcast, uh, oh, no, before we do that, how can people get in touch with us should they wish to? They could send us an email, couldn't they, Eric? Yes. Eric. And where did you send that to, Eric? Oh, you bastards. I believe Beep. it is to <laughs> – is that a swear word? Um, yeah. Large format photography podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, that's exactly what I would have said. 
I always goof up because I'm not sure if there's a I, I'm brain blank. Is that I'm like is there the large or mm-hmm. just large? I'm like, I'm like every time. Yeah. Um, okay, so Andrew, um, hmm. where can people find the things that you do outside of this podcast? Social media wise, on Twitter and Instagram, I'm Warboys Snapper. Warboys being the village where I live, Snapper being someone who takes pictures. So you can find me there, and also pretty much every two weeks on another podcast called the Lensless Podcast, which is all things pinhole. And we is it were really every two weeks. Well, it's it is when we're going properly. Really? We were we went two weeks ago, and we were meant to be going tomorrow, but the gentleman who was coming on has had to withdraw. So when we're going well, it's every two weeks. It started off weekly, Eric. We went weekly oh, for nearly. Nice. We went weekly for nearly a year. A guest every single week for nearly a year, and it just got too much. Yeah, so thanks. the lens, the lensless podcast is supposed to be every two weeks. But uh, there we go. There. Also, I'll say it. That's the weirdest village name ever. It, 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 I, I still can't wrap my mind around. What do I live? I live in War Boys. It's just. Yeah. Sorry. Well, it's French. It, it has its origin with the French. We were talking about the French earlier, weren't we? So the Norman invasion of the British Isles in 1066. So we were a, a Norman settlement, and it was originally called Wardibois, W-A-R-D-E-B-O-I-S, which means clearing in the woods. Naturally, we're a high ground over over the Fenlands. Sorry, Kelly, you're going to correct me on my French. Please. No, 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 I'm not. <laughs> Which is, feel free. <laughs> so we, we, we were a high, a high point on a volcanic ridge. Warboys is on a, an old volcano, which is kind of funny, really, considering we're right on the edge of the Fenlands, which is one meter below sea level. And so we were on this vantage point. Presumably we were, the Normans settled here because they could see for miles around and it was mm. kind of a vantage point. See, and they built a church which is across the road from me. Nice. There we go. And you, you can also be found in the Fenland darkroom as well, can't you? Fenland Cameron darkroom, yes. Oh, Fenland yeah, but, Cameron darkroom. Oh, sorry. Well, yes, the, the, the enterprise is called Fenland Cameron darkroom, but you can also find me in the, in the Fenland darkroom, yes. I thought that's what the sign said, just Fenland darkroom. No, it says Fenland Cameron and darkroom, which is the, the name of the enterprise. It was right in front can, of my face about two weeks ago as well. I saw. I know. Saw the and sign. I have. I have running water now. I was in. I've developed my first film in the new darkroom this this afternoon. Congrats! So, yeah, I did um, rotary processing of HP five in PyroCat HD. Fancy. Your rotary system is what? <sighs> what do you use? Uh, I've got two systems. I've got a Joe. Oh. I've got a Jobo, but I've also got a. Um, a thing I bought on eBay, which is a rotating two uh, variable speed motor feeding. Uh, I have a color. It goes backwards and forwards. Yeah, Joe, but I use the yeah. I use the CPE two for color, but I've now got this other. I'll, if you look into the Facebook group, uh, I'll post some pictures of it, Kellyanne. Okay. Later. I think you put it on. To, have you put it onto Twitter today? Or was that yesterday? Yeah, no, it was, Twitter, it was on Twitter today. But I don't know if Kelly does Twitter. Are you a tw- are you a Twittery person? Uh-huh. No. No, so I've got this. I'm trying to nail down the rotary process, and uh, it seemed to work well today. I'm very with PyroCat, the or any Pyro developer, it tends to oxidize quite rapidly. Although PyroCat HD, along with 
510, which is another variant, they they have better properties when it comes to oxi oxidization. So uh, oxidation, they don't oxidize quite so readily. But they all the rotary processes for pyro developers recommend that you, the rotary is, the rotation is very very slow. So this little device I got on uh, from China from Hong Kong, in fact, you can it's got a variable speed motor and I can wind it so that it just rotates very very slowly. And then it goes back the other way. So it goes like a Jobo. It goes one way and then it goes the other. And, um, yeah, so it's continuous agitation, but very small volume of chemicals because not all the film is in contact with the chemical at once. So the rotation is going yeah. is going round. I use, I use the Unicolor, mm -hmm. which is system. So I found one on, um, wasn't eBay, was a, an American auction site. And then I got the containers. So I have the one for film and I have the one for paper, paper. large format. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, it allows you to save a lot on, on chemicals. Yeah. yeah, it does. You've got to make sure you've got enough active, particularly when you're using pyro, you've got to make sure you've got enough active chemical in there. But it seems to work great. I did a roll of film in 250 mil of, uh, a roll of 120 film in 250 mils of chemical and nice. got great results today. And uh, Eric, <laughs> well, you uh, asked. You asked. You asked. Didn't you? No, no, it's good. I know you're regretting it now, and <laughs> Kelly's falling asleep. We regret nothing. Yeah, um, Eric. So where can people keep up with the things you do? Pretty much just Instagram. I barely maintain my website, so it's just E R I K H M A T H Y. That's my account. You'll see fewer photos of bunnies. They're all gone. Well, now they're all gone, but the, the foster bunnies are gone. I'm very sad to see Bull is gone. Yeah, boule, boule. I'll correct your French. Boule, yeah, our little loaves. Boule, yeah. I, I, um, still, I still think we need to see more large format photographs of your bunnies. They don't sit still. <laughs> you've got like, a, you've got a, a speed graphic, haven't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll take you. That's, that's oh. settled. That's good. <laughs> what, that's um. Kelly, when we when you sorry Simon, when you were talking earlier about using large format cameras for certain subjects, and you use your medium format for more sort of spontaneous. I'm paraphrasing. What you should get into, you should go and have a word with Dave Shrimpton, previous uh, guest on the show. We did those two outside broadcasts, and he uses large format SLRs, which is the perfect thing for you. you I know, recently get... got a, a placard ruby. Is a English. Made SLR, right? Like Graflex, so it's okay, a big that's what, box. Oh, you've got. Oh, I'm yeah, not surprised you've got one. Yeah, I purchased one. <laughs> Is it in working order? Have you got to do some jiggery um, it's, are fine. Mm -hmm. However, the cutting is degrading. So, right. um, I think there's someone who fixes those. I got their Instagram page, so I have to contact him. So I'll ship the camera to him and get okay. some new. Goodens done. Wow. Sorry, son. And would that would that be uh, Graham from? Is it Graham at Graflex Parts? Yes. Yes. Graham. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yes. he, knows, he knows what he's doing with Graflexes. There's no two no two ways about it. Yeah. Sorry, you say it was an English one. Was it? I didn't quite catch it. Was it an MPP? Was it Micropress? No, it's it's Ruby Placard or something like that. Placard. I I can send. I'll send you a Placard. Ah, okay. That's Ruby Placard. Yeah. We need photographs on the large format yeah. photography Facebook group, please. 
Yes, please. Okay. Camera nerds unite. Yeah, we like that. Um, <laughs> Truth. And uh, so for for me, um, I'm on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic. Um, I also have a side account, which is Forster UK on Instagram, which is where I put all my uh, 3D printed things uh, that, that I'm up to as well. Um, I have a website, which is cyberforcedphotographic.co.uk, where I sell the printed uh, plastic things that I make, um, such as uh, lens caps. And um, I've been making a few uh, custom lens boards for people as well. So especially if you're in the UK and you've got a, an odd lens that you want fitting to a uh, to a camera, I might be able to help you out. So uh, just get in touch with me. Um, well, we we all hang out in the uh, large format photography Facebook group, so come and come and talk with us there. Um, our music is by Kevin McLeod. It's called Two Finger Johnny, and that's it. So, uh, Kelly, it's been an absolute pleasure having you with us. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm very um very. My heart is warm that you all considered me um, when Andrew messaged. You know, it's. That is how everything has been going for me in photography. I know you speak about how I've won the different um, awards and even the interview. It's nice to see that people are connecting with what I produce. I think that's basically what it is, you know? Yeah. And I'm very grateful for your consideration. Well, thank, thank you for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. And uh, yes. on, on that note, um, I've already said what I usually say, so I'll just say goodbye. Bye. Take care. Bye.